Good morning. Uh, we're going to do the reading now and it's Luke chapter 2 verse 22 to 40. That's Luke chapter 2, 22 to 40. Jesus presented in the temple. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, it says every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband for seven years and after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Thank you, Fiona. So, here we have the story of Simeon and of the prophetess Anna. And our passage begins with this picture of this old man waiting in the temple. It might seem to some that he was simply at that age waiting for death, but that's just not the case. He, in fact, is waiting for comfort, the reassurance of seeing God's salvation before he dies. His name is Simeon. And we know very little about him except that he was a native of Jerusalem and that he lived a godly life. But what is clear is that Simeon saw himself as the servant of a sovereign God. You see, Mary and Joseph had taken their son Jesus to be presented um, at the temple, which was the custom at the time. And this is very different to circumcision. Circumcision happened on the eighth day and was about the boy being circumcised to mark him out as a, as a Jewish male. Um, but this was an event that took place for boys 40 days and for girls 80 days after their birth. And it was part the purification rite of the mother. They went there to have a sacrifice offered on their behalf by the priest to purify them after, the, after childbirth. But also it was a presentation of the child to God, and especially with a first male-born child, they had to be redeemed and their sacrifice was made on behalf of that child to buy them back, if you like. And to remind the parents, in this case, uh, Mary and Joseph, that all life comes from God. 
and that it's not simply something that just happens. It is a blessing. So the child was going to be taken to the temple in Jerusalem to be presented. And as they reach the temple precincts, they encounter in, those dust, in that dusty environment this old, aged priest who takes the baby in his arms. And as he does that, suddenly God begins to speak by the Holy Spirit. And he realises that this isn't any child. This isn't any baby boy. This, in fact, is the very child he has been waiting for. This is the promised child. This is the blessing of God that God has sent into the world to bring about God's peace. And so he says those lovely words. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. The first thing that Simeon talks about here is the sovereign God. The sovereign God. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. This is the famous line, of course, of the that evening time prayer prayed in the Christian church, the Nunc Dimittis. It's a prayer that actually Nunc Dimittis is taken from the Latin Vulgate, and it literally means, in, in, it means now dismiss. It is a dismissal prayer, and we often pray that late at night as we prepare to go and prepare ourselves to retire. And this is a dismissal of a man of faith who all his life has known that he could rely on the promises of God. Why? Because God is in charge. God is the sovereign God. As we come into the new year, into 2021, it's good to remind ourselves that God is the sovereign God. He is in control. But while we speak about things being unprecedented, God sees and understands, he knows. He's still in charge. And while we still have free will, we can go about and do what we want to do and we can damage ourselves or bless ourselves by our behaviour, God is still in control. But overall, there is a purpose and a plan and a God who is in control. And perhaps this is the best test of anyone's faith. Often the world seems to be a world in chaos of random processes. And this calls into question for many the existence of God. But Simeon, this old priest, knew better. He was waiting for something to happen because God had revealed it to him, but it would happen. And Simeon, during his long life, had learned that when God says something, he always delivers. He always comes out true. He always uh, uh, fulfills his promises. He knew but God has said to him, he wouldn't die until he'd seen the consolation of Israel. He knew that he wouldn't pass away. He wouldn't fall into, fall into death one night as he was sleeping until his eyes had fallen upon the consolation of Israel. And he got the great blessing of not only seeing, but holding that promise in his arms. You see, Simeon was a man who was faithful in conduct. Verse 25 tells us this. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Righteous tells us that he tried to live a moral life. He tried to do day by day what is right to be a righteous man. And to be devout is to be someone who was careful about his religious duties. Someone who was faithful in prayer, in coming to the presence of God, of offering God the sacrifices that he had to make in due time. 
He was a man who tried to live rightly. He was a man who tried to live close to God. And it was because he took his behaviour seriously that he was able to grow close to God and God was able to speak into his life and give him this great promise. You see, life is not simply about me. It's not simply about you and your, and your pleasures and trying to please yourself and make life good for yourself. We have responsibilities. We love in the 21st century to talk about our rights, but so seldom, so seldom do we speak about our responsibilities. And yet we curse ourselves by that because we live a life of self-indulgence and decadence and don't experience the real blessing the real joy, the joy that lasts beyond the, the empty bottle, beyond the consumed meal, beyond the pleasures that we may enjoy and then discard the husks and let them be collected by the recycling department. God wants more for us than just that. More for us than just a party. More for us just a momentary period of pleasure and indulgence. He wants to bless us with peace with consolation, with a sense of, of purpose and deep fulfilment. He wants to give you a fulfilled life. But that only comes when you walk like Simeon, when you learn to be righteous and devout. It just doesn't happen in a vacuum. It requires effort. Because Simeon wasn't just faithful in conduct, he was also focused on God. Luke writes in verse 26, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. God had promised him something, so he lived every day waiting in expectation of God's delivery of that promise. He was waiting, he was watching, he was there, ready for when it came about. Are you waiting? Are you watching? Are you focused on God? Is your focus elsewhere? Is God just a a part-time activity in your life. Something, someone you give your dog end of your time to. When you've got time, then I'll pray. When you've got time, then I'll go to church. Is God just a part-time activity? A hobby? If it's a hobby for you, you'll never experience the true joy that Simeon do. We've got to put effort into our faith and like Simeon, be focused on the promises of God. And that's why uh, Simeon wasn't just faithful. That's why he wasn't just focused. He was fused. He was fused with God. He became one with God. Constantly in this passage we see mentioned that Simeon was full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was upon him. In the 10 verses of the New Testament that Simeon is mentioned, the Holy Spirit is also mentioned three times. We're told in verse 26, the Holy Spirit was on him. In verse 27, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 28, moved by the Spirit to go into the temple courts. Because this man was faithful to God, because this man was focused upon God, he became fused with God. And the power of God was able to operate in his life. And that's true for us. If you lack power in your life, it's inevitably because you lack to be faithful, you're lacking in your focus. Because when we're faithful in our behaviour and conduct, when we are focused on God, we will naturally become fused. 
and filled with his spirit. And people complain that they don't know and experience God very well and they've never really got on and really grown in their faith. We can't blame God for that. We've got to look somewhere closer to home and ask the question, am I really being faithful in my work, my walk in my Christian life? Am I really focused on God? Because God, if God's only part-time, you're only ever going to experience him in a part-time way. It's that promise, isn't there, in Scripture? Seek and you will find. God doesn't lie. If you're not finding God, you're not seeking him hard enough. Seek and you will find. That's a promise. God says you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. That's the promise. But so often we say, yeah, I'm seeking God. Of course I'm seeking God. And we're going to do something else. We expect God to do all the chasing. We have free will. God has given us this great blessing. And it's up for us to unpack it. If we don't unpack the blessing of God, we won't experience the fullness of the blessing of God. You know, there's a law, in, there's, a, there's a, um, a dictum, a famous dictum in law called quid pro quo. Quid pro quo. And that literally means in Latin, it means something for something. And if you labour for something, someone, if you work for someone, quid pro quo is your wage. Something for something. You've given your labour, therefore it's right. You receive your wage. Quid pro quo. Something for something. Or if someone is, inflicts an injury upon you or yours, then justice requires quid pro quo. Something for something. It's a natural order of things. So if you want to get fit in 2021, okay, it will not happen on the sofa. It will not happen watching TV or Netflix. It will only happen when you put on your running shoes or put on your gym shoes and get down the gym or go out for a run or go out for a swim. It will happen when you put the energy and the effort into it. Quid per quo. Something for something. You want to learn a new skill in 2021, but you need to put it into practice. To take lessons and to put time into it, and little by little, you'll develop this new skill. Playing the guitar, learning the flute, whatever, learning a new language, learning a new skill, a new profession perhaps. It'll only happen when you put the effort into it. Quid per quo, something for something. If you want to read more in 2021, you'll have to switch the TV off and stop allowing the TV to do all the hard work for you. You need to open a book and think and get your mind around the characters and develop and increase and improve your vocabulary and find your, stretch yourself stretching your mind and you will enjoy reading more. It won't happen naturally. You've got to put the effort in. Quid per quo. And if we, as we move into 2021, if we want to experience more of God, more of his blessing, more of his power in our lives, like Simeon. It is quid per quo, something for something. God has given us the opportunity. It's up to us to avail ourselves of the opportunity that God has given you and me. We can all become closer to God and all be filled more with his spirit, just like Simeon, if we put in the effort, quid per quo. See, Simon, Simeon believed that God was in charge and would always deliver on his promises. And one of the reasons he believed that God would deliver on his promises is because Simeon believed that God is good. He's not just the sovereign God, he is the saving God. 
for saving God. He writes, he says in verse 30, 30 and 31, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. The consolation of Israel that Simeon was waiting for was literally the salvation of God. Yet what God gave him was not the finished product. He didn't watch the drama or the ministry of Jesus. He never lived to see the death and the resurrection of that child. God simply gave Simeon, this old man, a couple of parents and a young baby boy to be presented in the, in, in the temple. And there would have been many baby boys every day in Jerusalem, the temple. There would have been hundreds and hundreds every year presented at the temple, perhaps 10, 15, 20 a day presented in the temple precincts. This was not a new event. Nothing special was happening on. But Simeon was trusting in God. He knew that one day he would experience and witness the consolation. And of course he does. And when he witnesses this, he knows that God, God's salvation is not just for a few people. It is for everyone. But this salvation wasn't just for the Jews or a lucky few people who live in a certain country or certain geographical region. He knew that God wanted to bless the entire world. Hence, God's salvation is for all nations. Verse 31, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people. Israel. This child was not merely to be worshipped and adored. He was here to work for the good of all humanity, for the salvation of Simeon, for Israel, for you and for me. Simeon didn't know by which method this child would achieve this, um, this consolation or this salvation. He just knew with certainty that Jesus was God's consolation. He was God's peace to the world, the way by which God would wipe away our tears. Simeon was being part of this great revelation of the plan of God. And as he held this child in his arms, he knew that God was fulfilling his promises to him and to humanity. Later on, another uh, prophet, the prophet John, the Apostle John, while ex exiled on the Isle of Patmos, to receive another revelation about this consolation. We read in Revelation 21, and, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. He will be, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Jesus is God's plan of consolation, God's plan of peace, of wiping away the tears, of wiping away the past and bringing us a new blessed future. Because God is not just the sovereign God, is not just the saving God, is also the shining God, the shining God, 
And God's purpose was to share, shine his light with everyone, that they too may shine. Verse 32, he will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. What does light do best? Light reveals, doesn't it? And the sun reveals character. He, the sun, Jesus, brings and reveals the character of God, the nature of God. People often ask, well, what is God like? Well, look at Jesus. Jesus is the best photograph that God has ever had taken. We read about this, Colossians 1, verse 15. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of, over all creation. Jesus is the image of what is invisible. He is a facsimile, the picture, the portrait of God. Also read about this in Hebrews 1 and verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. If you want to see God, look at Jesus. Jesus reveals the character and the nature of God for us. And God comes to shine. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. God is a shining God who comes down to shine upon us, to reveal the character of God and to shine in and through us. But there's a warning here. A very important warning. One of the problems of light is that, of course, it reveals real detail. And as you're getting older, like I'm getting older, suddenly when you go into the light, suddenly you see perhaps you're not quite as young as you once looked. There's lines where there never used to be, or there's grey where there never used to be. Light reveals things as they really are. And sometimes we prefer to hide in the darkness or in the shadows just because of that. It makes me wonder sometimes why so many parties are in the dark, because they're trying to conceal our real natures, how we really look. If you can't cover it with makeup, go to a party in a dark room and suddenly everything looks bright, especially add a bit of alcohol there, you look great. But light reveals things as they really are. And there's a warning here, and Simeon takes Mary aside and says to her, but this child is destined to cause a falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the faults of many hearts will be revealed. Christ has come to raise people up. He's also come to allow certain people to fall. He has come to give us a hand up, to pull us out of our mess, into his calmness and into his peace, yet not everyone wants God's help. Some people will prefer to remain in their mess than to be lifted up by him. And those he will allow to fall. He will allow our free will. He never, never ever works against our free will. If you don't want Christ, then you don't want Christ. It's your decision. The door, the handle to hell is on the inside. People will choose to remain in their personal pain, in their darkness, in their wrongdoing, rather than come into the light and the presence of Christ. Because we see finally in this passage that God is the sanctifying God. He is a sanctifying God. At this very end of his prophetic nature, at the end of his prophetic utterance, the Numptimitus, 
He tells Mary that Jesus will cause the rising or the falling of many, and he will reveal the true nature of their hearts. Jesus wants everyone to rise, to be blessed, to be uplifted by his presence and by his message. But not everyone welcomes him, to him into their lives or into this world. In fact, this was true. This is the very reason that Jesus was killed, because the religious people didn't welcome him. He was a threat to their hypocrisy. His light exposed the reality of their religion, which was all about them and not about God at all. He showed that they're more concerned about glorifying themselves, wandering up and down, strutting their stuff, looking preening themselves in their religious garbs and dress. And they weren't really concerned with the true worship of God. The focus was on them during worship. Look at me, but not look at God. Jesus spoke about this. He spoke about this in Matthew 23, when he said this, he said, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. You must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Everything they do is done for the people to see. They love to place on, they love, they love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and be called rabbi by others. These religious leaders were pointing themselves, pointing everyone at them and not at God. He exposed their hypocrisy and he also exposed their corruption. We read that Jesus cleansed the temple not once but twice. And in fact, it was immediately following his, his cleansing of the temple the second time. But they began to plot his murder and execution. They planned to assassinate Jesus because he exposed their corruption. He stands in the temple precincts and says, It is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus hates injustice. He hates corruption. He hates those who exploit people for their own benefits. So not everyone welcomed Jesus. Some rejected him and he exposed the true intentions of their hearts by his light. And many today choose to speak against the ministry of Jesus. They are like the Pharisees and the scribes in the New Testament. They plot to assassinate him because his message is too radical, too challenging, and they prefer to fall than to be risen up with him. And so as we come into this new year, we need to evaluate whether we are ready to receive Jesus for 2021. Because he doesn't come to implement our will. He comes to bring in the kingdom of God, where God is king, where Jesus is king. The servant king, but the king nevertheless. He calls, his light calls for inner purity. For us to be, live our lives like Simeon, devoutly, righteously, doing the right thing. And if there are things in our lives that are contrary to God's will, or contrary to the teaching of the Bible, or contrary to the teaching of Jesus, the words of Jesus, then we will never know the full blessing of Jesus. It's up to us. We can pretend some of those promises don't exist, or some of those teaching is not relevant for the 21st century, whatever. We can do that. We can convince ourselves. But that's not going to mean we get the blessing of God. We need to be like Simeon, living righteous and devout lives. 
We will not rise, but we will, we will fall. You see, Jesus brings a sword to cut it out. He wants us to rise, but some prefer to fall than to rise with Christ in their lives. I wonder about you this beginning of this 21st year of this new, 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 decade, new century. Jesus comes to bring consolation. He comes to bring peace. But we need to accept his kingdom, his rule, his ways, his words. If we don't, at best, we will never receive the full rising that he intends for us. Our willfulness will grieve the Holy Spirit and we'll never be able to fully enjoy the blessing of God that he plans for us. At worst, we will not rise at all. We will fall. Fall away from Christ, fall away from his blessing, fall away from his consolation and his peace and experience real natural hell. It's our way or God's way. There's no in-between, no middle way. Many will simply ignore Jesus, while others will speak against him and plan and plot like the Pharisees and the scribes to try and assassinate him, to silence his word. As he says in verse 36, the hearts, the faults of many hearts will be revealed. Professor Leon Morris writes this, he says, men declare themselves by their attitudes to Jesus. They cannot be ultimately neutral. When men see Christ suffer, their reaction shows on what side they stand. While Professor Willie Barclay agrees and says this, towards Jesus Christ, there can be no neutrality. We either surrender to him or at war with him. And it is the tragedy of life that our pride often keeps us from making that surrender, which leads to ultimate victory. The Nantimitas then is both a challenge and a, an encouragement. It tells us that we can face death with peace, that we can be dismissed because we have seen the consolation, the peace, the salvation of God, the sovereign God who always keeps his promises. But it also calls for our response to God's Son, to receive his salvation, to receive his consolation, or to reject it. This is the stark choice we have in Jesus, his way or our way, to rise or to fall. Consolation or condemnation? Let us choose wisely in 2021. Let's pray together. Father, as we come into this new year, we pray you may help us indeed to choose wisely. We thank you, Lord, for the story of Simeon and for Anna the prophetess. We thank you, Lord, for these two old aged people waiting in the temple to see the glory of God and to witness it in the coming of your son, Jesus. And we pray, Father, you may help each one of us listening to this message today, taking part of this service, that we may rise with you, Lord Jesus. That we may see you as a consolation, that like Simeon, we may embrace you and hold you close to our chest. Lord, may we be encouraged and blessed. May we face this year with the peace that Simeon had. May we trust in your promises as a sovereign God, and may we know your blessing in our lives. We pray for our country. 
We pray for our world. We pray, Father, for the ends of this virus. We pray you may give wisdom to our governments and other governments and other states and nations, that they may look after their people well and may Lord, provide for a future, that you may give them wisdom, Father, to make right and good judgments. We pray for our National Health Service, for our doctors and nurses, for those who clean and look after our, our wards and our, our surgical theatres, for all those involved in, in caring for the elderly and for the sick and the dying. We pray, Lord, for those key workers, that you may give them strength and bless them. We pray, Father God, for those known to us in our own fellowship who need our prayers. We pray for Christine Rudland, Rob Erland, for Ian Smith, for Michael Rimington. Remember John and June Berman, George and Mary Hay. We pray, Father, for others known to us who need our prayers. In a moment of quietness, we lift their names to you. Bless these people, Father. As we come into this new year, we ask you to bless us. And Lord, if we don't know your son, Jesus, open our eyes. Shine your light into our lives. Show us the way. Show us our need. And help us, Lord, to deny ourselves and deny our own wills to accept your will as the best way forward in our lives. Father, draw us closer and rise us up with Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. Amen.